Hello guys and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. Whoa, what, Woody, what are you doing, mate? What? That's This is my role. You've already got it wrong as well. You don't say, hello, you, you just did it wrong, okay? Let me take control from you. Mate. <sighs> hello everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon and with me, I have Woody, Woody, please don't ever do that again. I'm not <laughs> sure what that was all about. It, That's rough. I thought it was pretty good. Nah, just leave it, leave it. Leave, leave me to do my work. Let me do what I do best. And that is introduce the Premier League Nightclub podcast. So, <laughs> Woody. Damo. We, are, we just finished up the Premier League action for the weekend. Obviously, Arsenal came back this morning against West Ham. Mm-hmm. If, they, if, if they lost that one, I don't know. They would have been definitely, definitely up for a relegation talk. I reckon they would have seen their third manager in four, four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be honest, you know, that was the first time in eight years that Arsenal had come back to win a game after being behind at halftime in the Premier League. That's... I I, I find that really hard to that, believe. Because, I find that hard to believe as because well. Because, like, even any top team out of the big six, we've seen, you know, in or out of form, teams come back from behind, especially at home. So that's really surprising. Yeah, that's definitely a very surprising. Uh, of course, we saw Pepe. Yes. Get, get the job done, finally. Yeah. But uh, we might touch on that a little bit later. We might, Damon. We might have to. And... <laughs> People can't see you through the screen here, Damo, but you're sporting a bit of an injury. I am. I'm, I'm grimacing as we speak. Of course, you know, my dedication to our Friday Night Futsal team is something <laughs> that no one can question. And, you know, just unbelievable challenge to stop stop the opposition from scoring a little bit of a knee, knee issue. Not not too fussed about it, though. There wasn't yeah, too went, much. Went to down, you went down like a sack of potatoes, mate. Mate, it hurt. It hurt. I'll... You know, you only lay on the floor for a good five minutes afterwards, anyway. <laughs> just it—it it was painful, and just you know, if we had a game this week, which we don't, but if we did, I definitely would be unavailable. So just you know, mm. settle down. Yeah, but you know, steering back to the Premier League, just, you know, what, <laughs> just just give us give us the weekly results. <laughs> All right, to kick off the round, Everton down Chelsea three one, huge game, huge game. Liverpool beat Bournemouth 3-0. Tottenham destroyed Burnley 5-0. Watford and Crystal Palace drew nil all. The Manchester Derby. United down City 2-1. Leicester destroyed Villa 4-1. Newcastle beat Southampton 2-1. Sheffield beat Norwich 2-1. Brighton drew with Wolves 2-1. And to cap off the round, Damo, as you said, Arsenal beat West Ham 3-1. What a round it was. Yeah, it was big. Obviously, uh, Everton had some fortune to kick off the round. And uh, as we said, Arsenal came back. But I think we should just get stuck straight into that Manchester derby. Are you happy with that, Woody? Let's do it. All right. It is time for Manchester City versus Manchester United. James gets it through to Martial. Martial shot. Oh, scored! It's two! And no more than Manchester United deserve. They have been all over Manchester City in this first half an hour. Edison beaten at his near post. Anthony Martial makes it 2-0. That's what on Martial made it 2-0. Obviously, City got a goal back through Otamendi late, but it was too little too late. And Woody, to be honest with you, we saw Man United get the job done over Spurs midweek. And you know, that's been the issue with this Man United team this season, that you know, one good performance leads to a not-so-good one the next game and you know, sort of a two-step-forward, one-step-back you know, areas there. But... They ripped up the Etihad, didn't they, for the first half an hour at least? They did, and it's funny you say that because it was it was interesting to see how United were going to go playing against two top six position, um, sorry, top six teams in a row. And we've seen the amount of times over the last few years they they play well against a big side and they play like a minnow, and they'll they'll just capitulate. And mm-hmm. it was interesting to see that test when they play two big teams in a row, and and it really I think it showed United's true colours and where they're sort of trying to go as well because they did they did rip city they ripped city a new one and for me it could have been almost 3 or 4 nil at half time yeah for sure watching the game and much of that came down to united dominating the midfield but you know it was really interesting to see i guess the lack of city presence and it, it was it was almost a bit shallow from them and a bit of a shell of what 
we've seen from City, but also of the same ilk of what we've we've talked about so far this season. But just focusing on United to start because I think it was their day. Yeah, it was their day, and Fred was immense. Yeah, immense. I think well, I'm not going to say he's proved himself to the Manchester United fan base because obviously you know when you play for a big club you can't just have a few good performances and you know be classified as a top top player but I think now you're starting not justifying that price tag but you can see where there's a few suddenly where there was no future for for Fred he looks to be really settled and it'd be interesting obviously with Paul Pogba uh, he'd be touch and go for maybe next week or the week after so to see where he comes into play and would he You've been big on obviously Fred mm-hmm. and the role Scott McTominay plays in you know Fred's game. Yep. Do you just want to touch on how important Scott McTominay is for Man United and specifically how he was in that derby? Yeah, completely. Because uh, like I said before, you know McTominay coming in provides Fred with more space and time to to get on the ball, and that's no doubt. If you watch the if you tuned in for the game, it was so evident, and. McTominay himself put in a shift. So his game by the numbers were seven ball recoveries, five fouls suffered against him, five clearances, four out of five aerials won, three out of three tackles won, and three interceptions. His work defensively was unparalleled during that game. What he did to allow Fred the time and space to produce the skills. And keeping in mind, Fred was playing KDB arguably the best player in the league at the moment. And it was by far his biggest task so far this season. Yeah. Hands down, not even a question. And for me, Fred had the better of KDB because he had the time and space for, you know, the skill and, and, and the picking the more out flexibility. of pass. Yeah, with McTominay and having McTominay there mm-hmm. as we, a buffer. Well, for example, we even saw maybe one or two occasions Fred make an error. And, and like, not to say that Fred didn't play well, he played brilliantly. Was probably mm. man of the match. But Fred once or twice gave away the ball. When you're playing against City in the way they set up, you you do find that passing accuracy of opposition teams plummets. And yeah. It's just you just almost have to accept that. But on each occasion, perhaps in the past, without McTominay and a very good Man United defense, which we'll touch on in a bit, you know, that Fred's mistake might have been highlighted more by it leading to a goal. But on the weekend, it didn't. But when you do have that stability in midfield. It gives your attacking side to your game a lot more confidence. You, you, you would talk about Lingard pushing up a little bit more. You know, we can talk about him as being an attacking midfielder, but I would almost argue he's even more attacking than your average attacking midfielder. You, you can't see him putting in a defensive shift. So what I do want to ask you, Woody, is that you know, we've spoken about how poor and vulnerable City's defense have been. Well, it's no secret. Okay? Mm-hmm. They struggled to keep a clean sheet, but how did United actually go about it especially in that first half an hour because we we haven't seen city that open in very very Yeah, I think time. they were extremely shocked. Extremely shocked to to probably the best 30 minutes United have played in the last couple of seasons. Yep. It probably was. Um but it was the very much the defining moment about the game because the way United's attack is set up to target the city defense was really interesting and and something we haven't really seen against a city side. So Rashford and Martial never actually sat on the City centre-backs. Nor did they sit on the midfield line. They actually sat in between, more geared towards the wing, so they didn't have a defending central striker. Rashford and Martial, or Rashford and James, or Rashford and Lingard, always occupied the space on the wings in in front of the full-backs, but then also behind the City defensive line. And what that allowed um, City... Vice versa, um, with this setup, was that it gave them more possession and more ability to push further up the field. However, what United did do was allow them acres of space for the front four as Angel- Angelina and Walker push forward. So the United front four was allowed so much more time and space. So when they did get the ball and they did counterattack, they're running directly at the city centre backs. And there was three or four options. Yeah, each and time. which we do know that when we have said in the past that running directly at Fernandinho and Stones proves to be City's undoing. Yeah. So when they were on the counter, Stones and Fernandinho were chasing shadows. They couldn't mark anyone because United had so much space. So they were essentially running... They weren't running down the wings. They were running from the wings in. Mm -hmm. So instantly, 
Stones of Fernandinho backtracking, yeah. and they had they had no clue and on we, a few we, of the We did speak about that midweek as well in regards to Rashford's role as an inverted winger, and the massive, massive role and you know benefit he offers, especially against uh, vulnerable centre backs. Yeah, completely. But Damo, like despite the dominant half from United, and we harped on about it so much during the game, the first thirty minutes was. United set up for the game. I've never seen anything like it from yeah. the Manchester City side. Yeah. They were abysmal. But nevertheless, City's, City will always dominate the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what they, they, do, they do best. And they, they attempt, you know, they create chances. How did City only manage to score one in a game where they looked like they were potentially going to win and thump United going in? So, and it was even, that was even off a corner. Like, what, do you, what have you got to say to that? Well, we obviously touched on Fred and McTominay and the stability that that gives and the confidence that that gives to any team, especially this United team. But look, we can't talk about this Manchester derby without talking about Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I think if we asked Raheem Sterling what his most <laughs> difficult game was this season, even against Liverpool, Sterling was by far City's biggest threat going forward. In this game against United, Aaron Wan-Bissaka had nine blocks, seven clearances, won seven tackles and had two interceptions. Now, funny enough, if you look at his passing, he actually went at, I think, under 70%. And he did one take on all day. And for a modern fullback, you'd actually say that's probably not the best offensive game. But Aaron Bissaka is probably not a modern fullback. And at the end of the day, you can only play to your strengths. And he dealt with Raheem Sterling incredibly well. I think Wan-Bissaka's clearly best game for Man United. He sent him packing a few times as well. He like, did. And he's not afraid to put in the tackle. We know this. Yeah. He's leading, I think he's leading the tackles again after that game yeah. uh, in the league. But you know, from a more collective point of view, we look at Lindelof and Maguire as well. A defensive pair who have, let's be real, have struggled to keep a clean sheet as well this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, like they put in a shift. I, I look at Lindelof's block on Kevin De Bruyne. Oh, I, I actually, we, we talked, we've talked about that a few times now, haven't we? Honestly, that was probably... Look, I haven't watched every single moment of every single Premier League game this season, but I can't remember a bigger defensive moment than that this season. Would, would you agree? Yeah, with that? I completely agree. It and was, that was it was something that probably defined United's defense. Yeah, in in a crux for the game. And like they, as we, it's as simple as saying they put in a shift. They came with a plan, and it worked. And it's a credit to Solskjaer. He just needs to now do it against the small teams, obviously. Yeah, but. From the opposite side of the table, Pep Guardiola, it's now his worst return after 16 matches in his managerial career in, in, in a season. Does have we even heard Pep talk after the game that maybe we can't compete with the Juventus, Barcelona, Liverpool and United? Obviously, he was talking about Sheffield United in this case. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's interesting from a team that have spent the money they have. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it is a concern for Pep. And obviously, Pep does enjoy potentially playing the victim card a little bit when things aren't going right mm. for his team. And that's just because he likes to protect his team and also protect himself a little bit. Uh, United with the first team uh, to go up 2-0 at the Etihad in God knows how long. I think it was since Liverpool in November 2015. But just to sum, sum up this game now, from a Manchester City point of view, we've touched on how good United were, and I think we can move past Man United. Would you just to wrap this game up with Man City? Should City not give up on the league? But let's be real, they're going to finish top four. It doesn't matter how vulnerable defensively Manchester City are, the way they play, they will finish top four. Yeah, no doubt. Do should they switch their focus to okay, yes, the Carabao Cup, but I'm talking more the FA Cup and the Champions League. I know Pep. I know we just you know said what Pep said, but. Is the Champions League now the way for Manchester City to have a successful season? Because if they finish second and win the FA Cup, I would honestly say that's underwhelming for Manchester City going in. Yeah, I do agree with you. and But I, I also think that if not finishing second, finishing second for City is the bare minimum it has been for the last five years. Yep. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. So for me, they're probably... They're not going to finish second without a fight. And I almost think that fight is better... Um, Better put towards the Champions League okay. because if they, if they if they don't get past round of sixteen or something, I can't see how the success. Even if they win the FA Cup, it's going to be a cataclysmic failure for them as a season. Yeah. So they need to prioritize. And it's Champions actually a credit League. to them that we're saying this. Yeah. Well, completely. But with the standards that you have, you have to be willing, you to know, maintain it. Yeah. to maintain it. That's the thing. For sure. The Manchester derby was probably one of the games of the season. Let's be real, but it is time to move on to winners and losers. 
Oi, did someone say winners and losers? Sure did, mate. All right, I'll uh, I'll kick it off here, Woody, because actually we didn't we didn't laugh about how awesome the intro was. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> my uh, my winner of the week is Jamie Vardy, and look, he scored two on the weekend again. He's now scored in eight games in a row, sixteen goals for the season, five more than second placed Tammy Abraham. He's of course is three goal three games I should say away from equaling his own record that he set back in twenty fifteen. Uh, I've looked at I've looked at his fixtures. I think obviously he's got Norwich next weekend. Like I mean, no, you know, no disrespect to Norwich, but let's be real. We'd expect Vardy to score if Leicester do win. Uh, they have, then play Manchester City at the Etihad, and I think that's the one. If Vardy can score Ooh. at the Etihad, then he might be on to break his own record. That's huge. Now look, it's a huge game. It is. It's going to be massive, and that's also has got big repercussions for the title race obviously we've spoken about how much Liverpool probably are home but I think if Leicester do want to mount a challenge they do need Jamie Vardy to maybe not keep up this form we're not he doesn't need an over 30 goal season but you'd have to keep maintaining this pretty close let's be real like you know Vardy's that man that if he goes quiet okay the Leicester are a quality team and they've got some quality players and we've seen the rise of Ineacho again on the weekend played really well he, he is their barometer he is and you know if Leicester do have any chance of sticking with Liverpool that he needs to maintain this form but for now he is my winner would you yep. my winner this week is a man that we've actually heavily criticized and has been heavily criticized throughout the course of the season mainly because of his price tag and that man is Nicolas Pepe mm-hmm. so Arsenal's record signing he got his first start post Unai Emery era against West Ham this morning Bagged a goal to put Gunners ahead from behind. Like you said, Damo, first time in eight years. They got the victory, and it was a goal that was much needed, not only for him, but also for Arsenal. He also got man of the match. His shot was the only shot he had in the game, and he scored. Sometimes you need that little bit of... Plus, it was his first EPL goal from open play. We've seen him smacking a few ripper free kicks. Yep. But other than that, most dribbles for the game. Most successful dribblers of any player on the pitch, involved in 17 duels, most of any Arsenal player. It was really a breakout game for him. And since Emery's outing, Lundberg has preferred to start Mesut Ozil over Pepe, which says something about where Lundberg wanted to go with the team. Yeah. Right? He's using this a couple of times off the bench as a sub, but in their loss against Brighton, Pepe was Arsenal's best player when he came on, hands down. Not even a question. Ask any Arsenal fan, they say the same thing. Yep. Right? Hopefully this goal against the Hammers will give a bit of merit to his uh, price tag. And because he's a record signing, I'd say his season has been underwhelming thus far and hopefully he can bounce back. Sure. Alrighty. My loser is actually Burnley's defense. Now, I praised Burnley a couple of weeks ago for a win over Watford, but I still gave them... I, I still praised them. And it was because they came with a plan. And I think back then, they sat seventh after that game mm. on the table. But since then, they've been handed three successive defeats. Crystal Palace, Manchester City, and Tottenham. Okay, they can be excused for maybe the latter two teams there. They're quality outfits. But it's not so much them losing as to why they're my loser of the week. It's the manner in which they've lost games. Now, they conceded 11 goals this week to those three teams that I just mentioned. But since the start of the season, this is the the amount of goals they've conceded in losses. 2-3-2-4-3... Two, four, five. Fire. That is a grim picture. Now, and most of those twos are two nils, okay? Ugh. Burnley have created a habit now of um, maybe even throwing in the towel. And really? Getting, and getting ripped apart when, a, that, when they believe the game is over. Bi- that's a big call. It, it is a big call, but I think it's very uncharacteristic of a historically stubborn and well-organized Burnley team. So... Sean Dyke should be pretty pretty disappointed in how they've gone about in their losses. Yeah, look, they're probably not good. they'll stay up. I'm not saying that Burnley having a disastrous season, but I think it's a bit of a, a bit of an alarm bell sort of situation for Burnley. You know, you don't want to be conceding that many goals in losses. It's, it says a lot about your character, and let's hope they can you know, bounce back into this you know, going into the second half of the season. Woody, who is your loser? It's funny you say that because there actually are teams worse than Burnley, and this is one of them. Norwich at the moment. So since they beat City in in match week five, which was we thought was the start of the Pookie party, which was Leicester 2.0. <laughs> Sammy had the biggest reviews I've ever heard. You know, I've heard him say in his life. But since then, Norwich have only taken four points in the next eleven games. They sit nineteenth in the league, right below Southampton. Southampton suck, right? <laughs> With the next four games. 
you know, Norwich play Leicester, Wolves, Villa, Tottenham. Look like they'll continue to struggle. And for me, I don't know if they'll even bag a point, even in the Villa game. Mm. All right. So over the Christmas p- period, looking at who, who they've got to play, for me, they're almost a shoo-in to go down now. Shoo-in. Yeah. They've lost to Villa, Southampton, and Watford. All the ones they're competing for for relegation. And all of those games were disappointing losses. They gave away easy points. So if you're getting done by your relegation appoint- opponents, it usually spells the worst for clubs. And unfortunately for me, that's what Norwich's fate looks like at the moment. Yeah, I tend to agree there, Woody. All right, let's move on to our next game. And it was the one that kicked off the, the match week, and that was Everton versus Chelsea. Given away by Kappa. Picked up by Walcott. Played on for Calvert-Lewin. Davis was available. Davis has got it. Davis still has it. Can't finish. Calvert-Lewin can. And Everton have surely won it. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has got his second. Duncan Ferguson dances down the touchline. And Everton are on the way to three points. Yeah, an absolute dream start for Duncan Ferguson in this one. And Everton came just simplified everything, to be honest, and came out and beat Chelsea. And it was a disappointing Chelsea. It was a disappointing Chelsea. But, you know, you're right. Everton did really simplify everything. They went back to the basics with their game. You know, it was they went back to a 4-4-2. So Richarlison actually had a partner up top. And he did play up top this game with Colvett-Lewin. That duo bagged all three goals. So, you know, like, they've gone back to simple play, and simple play always works to a great standard. Sure, it might not win you titles at the end of the day, but it's definitely going to pull you out of a slump. That's for sure. And, you know, Everton looked lively. They came back. Richarlison played like a man possessed. You were pretty happy with how Richarlison Yeah, I reckon he is. Everton fans may hate me here, Mm -hmm. but he has shades of Marco Anatovic about him. I could say that, yeah. I could say that. And also in terms of consistency as well. Anatovic... Sometimes look like bloody Ronaldo. You <laughs> yeah, know, when, when he's on, he's on. When he's on, he's on. And he has a he ha, let's be real. He has a little bit of you know me, me, me about him. Oh yeah, and so does Richarlison. That's yeah. just the Brazilian flair in him, and and we saw it during the game. But you know, to pair with him, Calvert Lewin, statistically with the ball, no masterclass other than his two goals, but work rate was literally on another level. You know, was involved in thirty duels, and for a striker, that's bloody phenomenal like you don't see that every day it was the most jewels on the pitch and and Damo can you tell let us like let me know what why was Carver Lewin so involved well like as you said Woody they switched back to the 4-4-2 and they stuck Richarlison and Calvert Lewin up there with each other and when you're playing against a three-man midfield with a 4-4-2 you you pretty much are conceding defeat in the midfield battle before the game's even started with Kante, Kovacic and Mount Everton knew they were never going to win that midfield battle, especially playing a 4-4-2. So are you telling me that Chelsea should have switched? Well, Should they have changed? I think the way the game was going, clearly, if you look at the uh, distribution of Holgate and uh, I think Keane, yes, Keane was the other centre-back, their distribution, I think like 80% of their passes went forward. And like, okay, obviously they're playing defence, so majority go forward. But I'm not talking, they weren't passing to the right and left backs. Mm. They were going down the middle. And if you look at how much of the ball the two Everton midfielders got, it clearly was not a you know pass to the midfield. They were going long and direct to the two strikers. And that's why Calvert-Lewin was involved so much. He was getting from contest to contest. It was really... For him to do what he did made the plan work. And yes, Woody, I do think that Chelsea probably should have switched to a three-back mid-game to have a five-man midfield. And that tends to... History suggests that that sort of formation tends to deal with the 4-4-2 direct play a little bit better. And they could have done it without even making a substitution. Because we've seen Azpilicueta play centre-back. is the one that they should have probably turned into a, a centre-back. And I think that might have worked a little bit better. And look, Lampard's still a young manager and he's going to always be learning on the job. And he'll probably reflect on it and be like, yeah, maybe. Look, I'm the, I'm the manager. Mm. Maybe he has his own way of looking at it. And maybe next time he won't change to a three-back but find a different solution. But I think when you look at... Mason Holgate, he mm. he was the one for mine who, during the week when Everton got absolutely hammered by Liverpool, was the probably the better of the back three that they had that yep. day. Again, he won 100% of his duels, made four successful tackles. I spoke about Calvert-Lewin being a reason why the 4-4-2 system worked, but you need your, your defense. It has to be rock. It has to be rock solid because when Chelsea did have the ball, they had 70% possession. Mm. You know, when you're playing... A 4-4-2, you are conceding possession. Mm. 
So your, your defense has to be solid. And yeah, Mason Holgate was massive for him. Obviously, Mina missed through injury. So, you know, I'm not sure what Everton's best defensive pair are. Holgate, Keane, Mina, you know, it's always up for discussion. But I, Holgate is impossible to drop right now. He's been fantastic. Yep. And likewise, I think Chelsea, um, you know, like we talked about how good Holgate was, right? Mm-hmm. But looking at Chelsea as well, like they had plenty of flaws for the game, but I guess their only shining light was sort of Mateo Kovacic. If we're being real and you watch, if you tune in for the game, I'm sure you would agree with us as well. Mm-hmm. 80 passes at 85% and when only 10 of your passes are forward, that efficiency is pretty impressive, I guess. You mean 10 of those passes are backwards. So 10% of your passes are going backwards. Pardon me. Yeah. Um, like, so predominantly playing forward and looking, and we, that's the way Kovacic plays. But in a Chelsea midfield, which hasn't been to the strength that has been in the last few seasons, he was definitely their bright spark on the weekend. Um, he won 13 jewels, equal most on the ground, and that alone tells us that he's working his bloody ass off. Yeah. And to, to, try and, to try and pull something back. And without Jorginho there, creativity needs to come through co- the likes of Kovacic, especially with Mount ahead. That Kante and Kovacic pairing, they need a bit more creativity. And Kovacic is definitely putting in as much as he can to try and produce yeah, that. Of course, scored the goal that got Chelsea back in the game. Mm. It was a quality volley. If it wasn't for our human songs, wonder run, that could have also been a contender for Oof. goal of the week. Completely, completely. Um, look... Obviously, Duncan Ferguson got kicked off you know, his managerial career in the best way possible. It was unbelievable scenes. He was running down the touchline, just <laughs> absolutely soaking it up. And you know, a bit of Jurgen Klopp about him. I know Everson fans might not like me saying that. But, you know, like it was just great to see. Simplified it. And it was actually Everson's first time beating Chelsea twice in a row since 1994. Like, what? Just, just, you know, we had a lot of talk about Chelsea, you know, and their investment we'll call it that yeah, yeah in yeah. the early 2000s but even before then they did have a really good uh you know, history against everton so everton fans will be loving that one uh third win of the season for everton they'll be bouncing much needed much needed can i just pose you a question demo because mm-hmm. i brought up last week do you think this game solidifies chelsea chelsea's need to bolster their defense in january yeah i, I think the way they conceded you know, Zuma, back, back-to-back Z- losses they'd be to pretty- teams that were not nearly as playing as well as they are have been this season. Yeah, in Everton and West Ham, I think. Actually, they got they got a win in between those games against Aston Villa, but yeah, yeah um, I just think that the way Chelsea go about it, it's uh, I spoke about it last episode, I think, where I said it's it's not a game by game thing for Chelsea. It's a season by season. And obviously this transfer ban being lifted changes things a little bit. And I do think they will. January is difficult. I think they'll, they'll want to invest in defense, but at the same time, you only buy what's better than what you have. That's mm. the cliche saying. And I think if there's nothing out there for Chelsea, they shouldn't rush into things. Yep. This, this Chelsea team had a bad little patch. But at the end of the day, they're still five points clear of fifth. If they were to, if they finish top four this season, I think it'd be an incredible result for Lampard and his team. So you know, I, I'm, I don't think even Lampard said it's, we can't overreact. We can't be reactionary to a few games. So I think, with that being said, you know, summarize you know, to give you a quick answer here, Woody. I know I've rambled on a little bit, but I think Chelsea obviously do need to improve their defensive stocks, but. I think that you know, short term, they shouldn't be too reactionary and just move on. Yeah. yeah okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't can't say I completely agree with you. Um, like I look at Chelsea's bench, they only had Tamori as a as a defensive sort of option other than Emerson. But you know, nonetheless, like I I I actually do think they really need to bolster that um, defensive stock. But you know, that's fine. That's what we're here for. Bit of rebuttal. I like it. Bit of uh, yeah. bit of opinion. Well, to to be fair, Chelsea have actually only had one clean sheet in 17 Premier League away games uh, since the start of last season, which is a joint low of teams that played both seasons, so obviously not including teams that have come up this year, yeah. uh, with Tottenham, funny enough. Um, so I just think, yeah, you're, you're right. Chelsea do need to improve the defensive stocks, but I don't think they need to you know, jump at it straight away. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Be a little bit more cautious with their approach. Now, Woody, let's get stuck into our next segment. Let's that, do it. And that Keen is for it. on or off side. Damo, I'll kick things straight off to you. Okay. Uh, on or off side, Jose Mourinho's newfound outlook on life 
is good and healthy for the Premier League. Uh, th- this is an onside, and you know I'm always uh, observing and looking at what Jose Mourinho has to offer. I, I do. I used to really enjoy his antics, especially you know, when he would win games. So pr- probably that first stint with Chelsea, you spell it Real Madrid, into Milan, obviously. Those sort of you know, times, I used to love it. I, I used to think it was great. Even the way he talks about his time at Porto as well. Yeah, you know, and he had that in- inter-family, that Porto yeah. family. But I think during his second spell at Chelsea towards the end and his spell at Man United, he sort of lost his way and his antics didn't become enjoyable or interesting that, that to be honest with you they became cringe and annoying no people got sick of him and darren fletcher actually spoke spoke a couple of weeks ago maybe a month ago now about how he knew for a fact that Mourinho actually seeked feedback from man united from other people around the football world from his family friends on how he acted and he wanted to improve and he, he was asking for honest feedback and people were honest with him and you know said mate you're a bit of an idiot <laughs> at times like this is actually true and you can tell that he's it's had an effect on him because what we've seen with the ball boy at Tottenham, just the way he's gone about it, hugging everyone, smiling on the faces. He apologized to Eric Dyer publicly for subbing him off. You know, the old Jose a couple of years ago might have been like, yes, I took him off because he was crap. But no, he apologized post-game. Have some respect. Yeah, it's respect. Respect. <laughs> three. <laughs> three. <laughs> it is, you know... Uh, it's good for the league. It's really good for the yeah, league. And it seems like the United sacking really humbled him. It, it did. I, I think he, it was his dream job. He spoke about it quite a lot. And I think coming out of that, he's been a better man for it. So far, anyway. We'll, get, we'll see what happens when Tottenham <laughs> shit hits the fan for Tottenham in two seasons. <laughs> but for now, it's good for the league. Woody. Yeah. Everton or even Arsenal need to look at the Japanese league to find their new manager. <laughs> This is a good one. So for every Australian listener would know that Ange Postacoglu has done some complete uh, miracle work yeah, we'll call it in, the, in the Japanese league. So he won the J-League over the weekend um, after quitting the job ahead of coaching Australia back in 2017. Um, he took Yokohama from relegation scrap last season to the champions this season and did it Whilst dispatching second place Tokyo on the final day, 3-0. It was... What a feat. What a feat. The last manager, fun fact, Damo, mm. to go from the J-League to the Premier League was a great French man himself, <laughs> Arsene the man Wenger, right? So, it would be bloody amazing for Australia, um, for Australian football, and the Australian football and culture, if Ange went to uh, the Premier League to... To, uh, to to manage, but honestly, I reckon he's probably more fitted maybe towards a uh, a second league team, maybe like a QPR or, or a so North reckon Forest. It's an I reckon it's an offside. He needs to prove himself a little bit, I think, in a bigger league before he can go to a stature of a big six. Do you think he's capable of it though in like the future? Future? I don't see why not. Yeah, he's coached a national team. Yeah, that's true. That's he's what he's a champion. Yeah, so I, you know, it'll it'd be unreal for Australian sport, as you said, Woody. But yeah. can you see, see how he goes next season, though? All right, now let's move on to our next game. We do often talk about the big clubs here at the nightclub, and look, that's just because obviously we're in Australia; they have the big fan base. But Woody, we we really wanted to touch on this particular game because we felt it was had big repercussions for the relegation scrap and also a really impu- improving Newcastle. So let's just have a look at Newcastle versus a struggling Southampton. Willems down to Sam Maxima, left corner of the box, two with him. Fancy footwork, Longstaff out of his feet. Longstaff hits it, Keeper spells it, and it's a second goal! Newcastle United have got in front and Federico Fernandez has got what could be a late win. All right, so a last-minute winner for Newcastle. Uh, it was probably, I'm going to be honest with you, Southampton's best away performance of the year that I've seen. Now, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched every single Southampton game, but I have tried to keep track, especially since those those games against, you know, they had that patch where they got hammered by Leicester and had to play Man City back-to-back. I was really yeah. interested to see how they'd bounce back. And since then, even though they didn't get the win against Manchester City, you'd have to say they turned a little bit of a corner. Oh, completely. And Damo. You'll yes. agree with me here. Right. There's one man. There's actually a couple of men that we <laughs> mentioned last week. I mentioned last week in my winners and losers that have continued their form. Jimmy Ward-Prowse and Danny Ings. Yeah, they, they were outstanding again on the weekend. Dan, Danny Ings 
has now scored five consecutive games. And, you know, you've, you called it early, Woody. Because yeah. you, you called him out for being in good form and he's begged two goals in the next two games for you. So, with, with that being said, would, would Southampton be kicking themselves after the game, looking back? Yeah, I, I think they would. Like, all we've done for the last 30 seconds is praise Southampton, but they actually lost the game. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I just think that they had 19 shots on goal on the weekend. Four of them were on target. Look, I think Southampton did their very best impression of Watford over the weekend. Let's be, <laughs> yeah. like, we spoke about it a couple, a couple of episodes ago about Watford's shot accuracy, but, you know, it can't be all left up to Danny Ings. Yeah. And, but that's what it has been in the last few weeks. It has. And Redmond's probably, you know, he, he didn't necessarily play poorly, but he did miss a one-on-one with Dubravka uh, after a horrendous pass from Willems. And, um, you know, like had another shot off a volley, off a cro- uh, corner, I should say. And so, you know, players need to start finding the back of the net for Southampton. Ward Prowse, obviously, we know his free kick-taking abilities, but you can't really see where goals are coming from. Shane Long, I can't remember the last time he scored, to be honest. And Mate. so... <laughs> I think at the end of the day, we'll switch our attention to Newcastle, but just to summarise Southampton, they'd be absolutely kicking themselves. But Woody, let's just switch our attention to Newcastle and the impact of, more specifically, John Joe Shelby, because the man is on fire at the moment. Yeah, ball Jesus. Um, <laughs> three goals in uh, three consecutive matches for the first time in his career. First time. And I, was, I found that pretty hard to believe because he's had, he's had a pretty good, pretty good EPL career so far. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's netted six goals in his last 12 appearances. His previous six Premier League goals are spread across 116 matches. That's immense. He's in an absolute purple patch of form for me. And he was hands down, not even a question, the man of the match on the game, in the game, sorry. And like, uh, for me, he's just, he's just proving so much his actual worth because I feel as if all the clubs that he's been to in the past, the Liverpool and, and when he was at Swansea as well, he was so undervalued and underappreciated in the league. And I think now when we see a resurgent Newcastle and we see the role he's been given where he's actually the main man in the midfield. Well, he's the captain as well. He is the captain. And we see the Longstaff brothers. He's getting picked over the Longstaff brothers and they by no means have had a bad couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. They've, put, they've both put in some big shifts. Yeah, a couple of, they, they dominated the game against Manchester United early on in the season. But Shelby really has been that mainstay in that Newcastle midfield. And for me, he's showing his worth in a bigger role where he's been given the armband and he's, he's, they're, they're asking a lot of responsibility for him. And now he's really delivering, mm-hmm. really delivering. And that just shows not, not really his age, but his maturity in the league and how far he's come since he pulled on the Liverpool jersey. Well, can I just touch on the player that gave him the assist? Please. To John Joe Shelby? Please. And that is Andy Carroll because he's now on a paid by when you play basis because of mm. how many injuries he has. And just to tell you what, he's you know, worth every penny for Newcastle at the moment. He kept, he kept doing it during the game. And, and when he came on, he, 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 he's proving, he's another guy that's really proving his worth for Newcastle in perhaps what is a season where they're not getting the full potential out of Joe Linton. Mm-hmm. Andy yep. Carroll has come in and really filled that sort of void. Probably done more than him. In like he has, he has. And games. if you look at him during the game, he does what Andy Carroll has done best and really what is expected of him. He makes life really difficult for defenders and he bullies defenders. Yeah. So if you look at the assist he actually did, he's a big clumsy guy. He's not the most, you know, I won't say technically gifted because he's a god by his head. He's god. He's a god. <laughs> and we've seen it in the league so um, over so many years. But in the assist that he gave... He bullied the defender, took the ball on his left foot, ran across the touchline, and whipped in one with his left foot. It wasn't necessarily a directed cross, but he put it in an area that was very hard for for the Southampton defenders to deal with because it sat on their head yep. and gave the Newcastle midfielders like Shelby an ability to run into the box unmarked and take the ball, which Shelby did, and he, and, and he capitalized scoring with his head, which was... I think the first time he's ever scored a goal with his head in yeah, the league. That's true. So that was big. And yeah, for me, Andy Carroll is he's doing bits and and really proving his worth. Really proving his worth for a Newcastle team. But Damon, all that being said, there's been a fair bit of conjecture about Newcastle. And we've talked we've they've been in discussions about potentially should they go down? Are they are they deserving so far in the league with what they've put out? But if you look at their home record, they've won three, drawn four, and only lost one at mm-hmm. home in a really difficult and a really, really competitive um, EPL season. So with that being said, you know, where, where do you see them right now with their position? Well, look, that, as you said, Woody, they've 
had a decent season at home. And to be honest with you, their last five weeks, I think they've only lost one game, and that was a disappointing uh, trip to Villa Park against Aston Villa. So I think we definitely need to start considering what Newcastle can bring other than their, you know, survival abilities. But I just want to give you some information here, Woody, which you might find a little bit hard to believe. Okay. Who's the stat man? Who's the stat man? (laughs) On the weekend, Newcastle's back five, and if anyone tries to tell me it's a back three, they're kidding themselves. (laughs) Newcastle's back five costs a total of 15 million pounds. This season, they have the seventh best defensive record in terms of goals conceded. Now, okay, we know there is a big six, and it's not the big six that have the six best defensive records, but to be seventh in a league like this is pretty impressive. Would you agree? That's very impressive. I didn't expect that. On the other hand, they're attacking players. 40 million for Joe Linton, 20 million for St. Maximin, 20 million for Almiron, okay? They're the third worst goal-scoring team in the league, and they're attacking... You know, players cost an incredible amount more than their whole defense put together. <laughs> now, okay, I'm I'm not oblivious to the fact that the way Steve Bruce sets up Newcastle is defensive. Okay, you're not going to go see Newcastle hammer in four or five goals a week, and if he tried to, then their defensive record wouldn't be very good. Okay, I know what the way Newcastle set up. Okay, but what I'm trying to say is that they have spent the money. They have spent enough money compared to your Norwiches. Uh, even your Watfords, like these type of teams, Newcastle have backed in Steve Bruce a little bit more than they might have anticipated. So to wrap that one up, I just think Newcastle, to be honest with you, if they get relegated, they must be pretty pretty disappointed. Would you agree there, Woody? Yeah, they'd be disappointed in their forwards. I mean, the last five games, out of the eight goals they've scored in the last five games, only one of them has been from attacker, and that was St. Maximan. Otherwise, they've been defence and midfield goals. So that's where they have to look to get their goals. But... If the forwards start firing like Joe Linton and St. Maximan and start putting the chances they're getting in goals, especially with Amaron on the big transfer that he came with, mm-hmm. mate, I reckon like they'll they'll they've be, got some winnable games. They, got, they well. do have some winnable games, hundred percent. Alrighty, but you, let's put a game. Let's, yeah. let, we have we have to put a bow in it because we, it's my tr- favorite part. Of, it's my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> I'm keen. I love it. Let's do it again. All right, we've got the game show returning for a second week in a row, and we'll see. Damo, I can't, I can't confirm or deny. I can't remember who we've got on, but it doesn't matter nonetheless because someone is going to try and knock me off my perch, and I don't know if it's going to happen because I'm feeling, I'm feeling a wave of confidence right now. Right, a wave what, what after you, I put our Twitter man Josh Sekulovsky away last week, three-one <laughs> demolition. I'm going to talk myself up here a bit because I'm on a roll. I'm feeling, I'm feeling confident. I'm going to put someone in a grave Woody, that he's going to come up against me. Woody, just, just shut your mouth for a second and <laughs> shut your laptop screen as well, okay? Because it's time, it is time for the Premier League game show. Alrighty, yes, we are back for the second week of the game show after the success of last week and Woody, your success last week, if I should be more specific. Yes, please. Um, we this week we have Danny on the line. Danny, how are you? Good boys, how are you? Not too bad. Thank you for listening to the show and thank you for coming on. Uh, which Premier League team do you support? Just for the listeners' reference. Uh, I'm an avid Liverpool supporter. Oh yeah. Congrats on winning the league, mate. Just put it out there. <laughs> nah, not yet. Not yet. Still a few games to go. <laughs> nah, surely, surely you're a little bit, a uh, bit chirpy with the boys, um, and a little bit excited as well. Yeah, I'm confident, but you know, I'll never, I'll never tell anyone that. But... <laughs> Start planning the party, mate. Start planning the party. Um, Danny, are you aware of the rules? We'll just quickly go through them, a bit quick. Uh, five rounds. Five rounds. Name two and name that player, two and name that team, and one name that manager. There'll be five clues. You get one guess. Your name is your buzzer. Are you all good with that? I'm ready. Alrighty. Bring it on, big boy. Sweet. Now, first round. Name that player. I came to the Premier League in 2015 and have played in England ever since. I have won two Premier League titles in that time. I have scored nine goals for my current club from midfield. I am a World Cup winner. Danny. Yes. In 
Okay. Yes. Far. Yes. <laughs> Danny takes the first round. round. That's big. That's big. And the last clue was I made the 2018 team of the year. So that nice. What do you, do you reckon you would have got that one? Um. Yeah, I think it was for me. It was either Mares or Kante. Oh, I yeah. was just waiting for the next clue to see who it was. But World Cup winner probably. But World Cup winner would have set me off. Yeah. Alrighty. Second round. Name that team. We have won nine English top league titles. However, we have never won the Premier League. In the 2018-19 season, our player of the year was French. We lost the semi-final of the FA Cup in the 2015-16 season to the eventual winners. We had the same manager from 2002 to 2013. Last clue, in the 2018 FIFA World Cup, we had one player represent us in the England squad. Nick. Yes. Is it Southampton? No. Uh. Danny, I'll give you about 10 seconds max. I need I need an answer, otherwise the buzzer will go off. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, oh, no. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm not too sure. Arsenal. No, it was Everton. Oh. So still, oh, I don't get that. One nil to Danny. Third round. Name that manager. I am a current Premier League manager. I have managed in Spain, Portugal, and of course England. I played under Jose Mourinho, where together we won the Champions League. My only major honour as a manager so far is earning promotion into the Premier League with my current team. Nick. Yes. Oh, Sancho no. Flores. Oh, no. 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 Oh, no. Last, I said the wrong manager. Last clue no. is my team is currently in the top half of the Premier League. Danny, I'll give you another 10 seconds. Oh, no. Um... I'm not too sure. I'll have to pass that one. No. In a pass, it was Nuno Santo. No. Oh, <laughs> no. All right. Still 1-0 to Danny. Oh. Round number four, name that player. I played for Premier, uh, three Premier League teams between 2008 and 2019. However, I did play outside of England and come back in that time. I won the Premier League twice. I am French. I am currently playing in Turkey. Prior to playing for my final Premier League team in 2019, which was for just one season, I was banned for 18 months for a doping violation. Did oh no. Either of you know who that could be? I've forgotten his name. Um. I got. I need an answer within 10 seconds, boys. Oh, no, no, no. I forgot his name. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, Five seconds, oh, otherwise no. I'm ending the round. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Danny. Three. Yeah, Danny? Is it Loic Remy? No. Uh, Nick? Yes. Is it Sisse? No. Is it Gomez? Sami and Nasri. Oh, <laughs> far out. He's playing in Turkey. <laughs> He's playing with Vincent Company at Underlecht. Oh, damn, okay. That's rough. Go on. All right. Still 1-0 to Danny. <laughs> Jeez. Final one. Name that team. When playing against the top three teams this season, Liverpool, Leicester and Manchester City, we have conceded three goals each time. Our current manager has been our manager since 2012. Our first ever season in the Premier League was the 2015-16 season. In our first season, we had shock wins over Chelsea and Manchester United, earning us a 16th place finish. Final one, we have one lone player on our current squad list. This player is a lone player from Liverpool. Oh, Danny, Danny, Danny. Yes. No. Yes. 
<laughs> and Danny takes the win. Danny, congratulations, mate. I didn't get a single one. That was very disappointing from you, Woody. Danny, how do you feel? I'm, ecst I'm ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. I thought. I honestly thought he had me on the on the first. I had the question, I had but, the Santo one. Yeah, you definitely. Said I had the Santo one. <laughs> Alrighty, Daddy. Thank you so oh, much for playing. Uh, we'll definitely be shouting you out on the socials for Congra knocking Woody congrats, off his perch. Congrats, champ. Congrats. You did Thank me. Thank you very much. Danny, we'll hopefully have you on the show another time, but in the meantime, all the best. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, boys. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Woody, mate, how about that? Could not get the job done for a second week in a row, and you got Watford and Wolves mixed up, let's be honest. Yep. <laughs> yep. Happened on the podcast during has happened on the podcast during analysis. It happened to me during the bloody game show. <laughs> My downfall is uh, come back to bite me. I reckon, Jeez. honestly, if I had got that, I, pro I reckon I would have either drawn and that would have been a really close last round. Yeah. Did you did you have any idea about any of the other ones or no? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew Harry Wilson, um, but I always get mixed up whether he's from Liverpool or City. Oh, okay. Um, but, like, yeah, look, I... I I, I was in for a fair shout for all of them, to be honest with you. Oh, okay. I, was either, I was either a couple players, like the, even the first one, the Kante one. Yeah. I thought it could be Mares. Of course, yeah, because it's yeah, a, like I think uh, no team's won it twice since 2016. Yeah, so it has exactly. To be a player who's moved. Yeah, so that's actually, a, of course, City well, of course, City. But you know, uh, yeah, um, but you're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say, man. I'm a bit disappointed in myself. That's I'm right. going to brush up on my skills on the next week. I'm sure you'll bounce back, and we'll do it again most likely. So make sure to keep an eye out. On the socials and the Twitter has changed the handle a little bit. It is now PL Nightclub at PL Nightclub. Woody, goal of the week, Shung Min Son, and some other yeah. unbelievable content. Where can they find us? You can that? find us on Insta at Premier League Nightclub, bringing you as much content as we possibly can during the week. And this festive season, as we spoke about last week, is going to be a busy one for the socials, for the pod, and everything in between. Uh, I'm happy to wrap this one up, Woody. Let's do it, mate. Send the package. Send the package. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Woody, thank you. Cheers, Damo. See you guys. See ya. See ya.